we won a national championship for for Ole Miss and um, all the past players and all the fans across the country and for the state of Mississippi and the University of Mississippi, uh, we did it. And, uh, we're national champs. Breaking ball. Tommy White. First pitch swinging. In the air to center. D'Onofrio back and it's gone! The legend continues! Got him swinging! The Campbell Campbells, the dynasty of the Big South. And now Tony Vitello bumps the third base umpire. Set. He'll throw that as a line drive in the gap. Did he do it again? It is another ball in the gap for Morrell. Another extra. Oh, that is gone. A home run for Brian Morrell. Swing and a ball driven. Way back. And foul. No, gone. He did it. Ortiz kept it just there and walks it off with a grand slam. All righty, what is up, college baseball fans? Welcome to another episode of the 11.7 podcast, where we are here to preview week number 13 of the regular season. It's been flying by. Uh, we also have a lot of cool segments here on the show. We're going to talk about Golden Spikes favorites right now. Uh, we're going to narrow it down to about five to eight. Uh, we're going to talk about some mid-major teams that are battling it out to see who's going to host regionals. And uh, we'll also talk MLB draft stuff because later next week, we're going to release our um, you know, first-round mock draft and top 100 prospects in the uh, for high school and college. Something Dimitri's been working on here for a couple weeks, and it looks amazing. Um, so that's kind of the agenda for the show here today. Uh, I want to thank our sponsors, both Circa Sportsbook in Las Vegas, who is uh, sponsoring our weekend series Pick'em and our Survivor Contest, where we only have two, or let's see, how many weekend series, or weekends do we have left? Two. This two. one next weekend. That's right. This one and next one. So we have four survivors remaining that have picked the correct weekend series all year long. Um, and then the standings are bunched up for the weekend series Pick'em all year round. So um, like Blaker Mayfield is 51 and 19 beef baseball, 51 and 19 uh, Hunter Foster, Jay Smith, B block 22, all 50 and 20. Like those records are incredible. Those guys know what they're doing. So um, that's kind of the agenda for the show today. And uh, so thank you to Circa who's going to be given the uh, grand prize winners three night, three day stay at the resort in Las Vegas, the first week of the college world series. And uh, Yakertech is our second sponsor here who we're nailing down some plans for this summer for the Cape Cod. They just announced a partnership with Cape Cod League, uh, Yakertech and Baseball Cloud. And they want us to participate in like the home run derby and the all-star game, everything like that. So uh, that's some exciting news there. And um, they're also sponsored our mid-major power rankings all year. So you guys go check out Yakertech, Baseball Cloud, 
and Circa. Let's get it started here, Dimitri. Um, I'll, I'll let you choose where we start. Do you want to talk MLB draft, Golden Spikes, mid-major rank, or not mid-major rankings, but mid-majors that are fighting it out for uh, a regional hosting spot? Or do you want to do let's, like a little midweek recap first? Let's save the region, the postseason breakdown on those teams um, in the bubble watch and all that stuff. Let's save that for after. Let's let's go in this order. Leading off Golden Spikes, batting two hole, kind of like a pitcher of the year discussion. I mean, at the end of the day, probably going to come down to skiing versus louder with some honorable mentions thrown in there. And then three, and some, let's go through MLB draft stuff because you, just so the fans know and the listeners know, you're the one that came up with the rankings. You're the one that's writing all the bios. I just did the design. So, I want to hear Ben. This is Ben's ranking. So I'm excited to hear him talk about that. And then we'll dive into bubble watch, midweek recap, pre weekend preview, bubble watch, all that stuff. Let's do it. So uh, Golden Spikes. Let's let's hit lead off here, Golden Spikes. And up until about three weeks ago, it was the Dylan Cruz show. Dylan Cruz was like hands down the favorite to win the Golden Spikes. I still think if – Vegas put some odds on it. He would still be the the odds-on favorite. But you look around and you look at stats and guys that have been carrying their teams all year, um, and there's about four or five that have just really jumped out and put themselves deep in the conversation. The uh, But what, what I want to do here first is kind of introduce the award. The Golden Spikes is compared a lot to the Heisman Trophy of college baseball, right? Best, but it goes a little bit identical. No, well, it goes a little bit further because high school players are eligible, JUCO players, NAIA, D3, D2, and D1. Um, there hasn't been anybody else besides a D1 player win it except for Bryce Harper when he was in junior college, and that makes it like a little bit of an interesting twist, right? Because I don't think this year we have to worry about any JUCO or high school guys that are going to win the award. Um, and in fact, I don't think we're going to have any even listed as like the top five finalists or top three finalists, but I mean, it is, it makes it a much more inclusive award. And the definition of the award, I think is really cool. It, it's the, let me read it word for word. The award is given each year to the player who best exhibits exceptional on-field ability and exemplary sportsmanship. So that second part there. That second part about the sportsmanship, I don't know if that's always been in the definition, but I've never remembered reading that before. And maybe that's something they threw in in the last few years. I could be wrong, but maybe that is something they threw in the last few years for guys with like bad attitudes or guys that show up the opponents on the on the field um, or make it about themselves. Because you go back and look at the recent winners, and it's you know Ivan Melendez, who was as calm and cool as anybody. Um, Kevin Copp, same thing, just like, Steady head, like never the moment never got too big for him. I don't think I ever honestly, I don't think I've ever saw Kevin Comp yell. No, he never did. He was he was the best player in college baseball that year as a closer for Arkansas. Um, and then like Adley Rutschman, everybody knows one of the most likable guys there. Um, you go down the list, like Kyle Lewis has won it and and, and so forth and so forth. Just super nice guys. And I mean, I don't know if that's the reason why Dylan Cruz has been the way he has this year. Because like you haven't heard a peep out of him. He he's always played the game respectful, the right way. He's never like done any kind of 
like crazy stuff on the field. But maybe he came into the season thinking, you know what? I want to win this Golden Spikes because I am the best player in college baseball. And I'm not going to let the emotions get the best of me. Um, so I just thought that was an interesting little nugget that maybe the fans didn't know because I didn't know that. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure. I, I'm trying to, th- I was trying to think if like that definition been around. I feel like it's been modified maybe, but I do remember some sort of sportsmanship played a role in the Golden Spikes. Right. So. Um, but hey, I mean, here recently, within the last three weeks, there's been about four or five names, really six names, that I think can really compete with Dylan Cruz as far as Golden Spikes um, consideration. And that's J.J. Weatherholt, who is, I mean, his numbers are stupid crazy at West Virginia this year. Um, I tweeted it out yesterday. He he has, he's hitting 472. You're talking about, who are you talking about? J.J. Weatherholt. Oh, Weatherholt, Weatherholt. So he's hitting 472, 14 homers, 20 doubles, um, 54 RBIs, 33 stolen bases. And our friends over at Friday Starters, a Twitter account that does a lot of like analytics and stats and graphs on, uh, you guys should really check it out. Like every Friday, he comes out with the like all the main conferences, um, starting pitchers for the weekend and matchups. Um, it's just Friday Starters is his Twitter name. But he tweeted out, um, replying to us saying Weatherholt currently has 37 extra base hits and 33 stolen bases since 2002 number of players who have reached 30 extra base hits and 30 stolen bases only 46 guys so that's in 20 years only 46 guys let's take it a step further because I mean Weatherholt already has that he's accomplished it 35 extra base hits 35 stolen bases only three guys since 2002 have done that. And then 40 extra base hits and 40 stolen bases, which Weatherholt should absolutely get, like with ease, zero. Nobody's done it since 2002. Wait, do, who, are the, who are the two that have gotten the, the 30, 35 club? It is um, Shane Robinson, Florida State, 2005. 49 stolen bases, 35 extra base hits. Chris Rawl from William & Mary, 2004. 42 extra base hits, 38 strikeouts. Or sorry, not strikeouts, 38 stolen bases. And then Adam Greenberg from UNC 2002, who was a stud. So um, nobody in the 2010s. Nobody in the BB Core era. Nobody. So like, if you want the definition of power and speed, I mean, J.J. Weatherholt is the complete package. He's only a sophomore, so he's not draft eligible. But next year, if he doesn't win the Golden Spikes this year, he's got to be the Dylan Cruz of next year. Um, yeah, I mean, speaking of Dylan Cruz, I mean, 457, 13 doubles, 13, uh, one triple, 13 homers, only three stolen bases. So, I, if you, I mean, obviously, Dylan Cruz been doing it three years in a row in the SEC, and, and Dylan Cruz can steal bases, but it, I mean, injury prone stuff like you can really injure he yourself. Need to. Yeah, he doesn't need, to. especially with I mean, Tommy White hitting behind him, you steal exactly. second, they're gonna walk him. So, there's a lot of strategy involved, but um, um, so comparatively to Weatherholt, it's pretty close. Now, here's the I- most identical comparison in terms of stats with Dylan Cruz, Nolan Shanwell from Florida Atlanta. Yeah. So Cruz, I said, is hitting 457. <laughs> Shanwell is hitting 454. Cruz had the 13, uh, 1397 OPS. 
Shanwell, 15-12. And then you go to double, triple homer. Shanwell got 14 double, four triple, 17 homer. Cruz had 13 double, one triple, 13 homer. Um, so Shanwell beating him in every category by, you know, three, four, whatever. Three or four, yeah. And then he's got 13 stolen bases, so 10 more stolen bags. Objectively speaking on the numbers, Shanwell is having a better year. Pretty, pretty crazy to say. All right. Sorry about that, Demetri. My internet cut out, but I know you just finished up talking about uh, Nolan Shanwell versus Dylan Cruz. And you're right. Like the the numbers do favor Shanwell um, in this scenario, right? Um, obviously, I think the voters are going to factor in like competition and not saying that Shanwell has played bad competition this year. He's just in Conference USA and not the SEC. Um, but I mean, it's it's almost identical, even down to like walks and strikeouts, OPS. Um, those two, like they've been consistent all year and, and have been leading their team and hitting all year. Uh, it, it's, it's cool to see because every year you'll see a mid-major player, um, get in the conversation for golden spikes just because of, uh, you know, how good they've been. All right. So let me ask you this question. Three guys get invited to New York, right? It's, it's three or four. There's been some years where it's four. Really? Yeah. I've always remembered three. Okay, anyway, let's just go with three here. Who, If you're sending the out, invites out for the Golden Spice, who, who are you sending them to? Well, today? I mean, Jack Caglione has to be in that finals. I mean, he's leading the nation in home runs. He's a Sunday starter in the SEC. Um, like, yeah, he's he's had some good games and some not-so-good games on the mound. But as far as, like, he's best got a, He's got almost, he's almost a five ERA. Um Four and two on the mound. I know people freak out about wins and losses as pitchers, but at the end of the day, I, I still think wins matter. Like it's still, it's not easy. It's not like you just get handed a win. You got to get lucky yeah. sometimes. But anyway, four ninety one ERA. I mean, fifty four Ks, but forty walks, forty seven innings. So on the mound, he's serviceable, but he's not great. Yeah, I just know the committee loves two way guys. Um, yeah. you know, Brendan McKay, AJ Reed, they've both won. Much it. easier to market them and and kind of hype them up. Yeah, it's, it, it's much easier. So it, it's like three when three invites. Man, dude, three invites is tough because Paul Skeens deserves to be there as well. And like honestly, like Shane Lewis and Charlie Condon, Edric Felix, uh, Shane Lewis from Troy, Charlie Condon, a fresh redshirt freshman at Georgia, Edric Felix from Florida Gulf Coast. Like their numbers match up in certain areas too. Um, I think if it was up to me, it would just be Cruz, Weatherholt, and Nolan Shanwell right now for three. And then Caglione is the fourth cemented there, especially if uh, if like he breaks Ivan Melendez's home run record. You, I mean, you have who to was the last invite. pitcher? Who was the last pitcher to win the Golden Spike? True one way pitcher only. Kevin Copps. We just talked about oh, it yeah. two years that ago. Stupid. That was stupid. No, before cop. I, Strasburg. Cop, was it Strasburg? I was about to say, I thought it was Strasburg. Strasburg's won it. Lincecum's won it. I think David Price won it. But that was a long time ago. Yeah. So. Did Trevor Bauer cop win it? Was more versatile. Cops was more versatile game on the line at the end. That's why he became just, um, he became incredible because it was, Every time he turned the game on, laid in the game to catch the end of it, it was Kevin Copps on the mound. Yeah. Like, Paul Skeen, you, when you turn it on, it's much watch TV as well. But it's 
it's a little bit different as just being a starter versus being a starter reliever, three inning closer, that kind of stuff for um, cops. So I think my three invites would, I think it would have to be Kag because I'm not saying he's been unbelievable on the mound. He hasn't. He's been struggling, but he still he still hasn't lost the Sunday job. So it, it, he would have to be pitching really bad to lose that job. So mm-hmm. that you take that into account that he's kept that Sunday role all year, um, and then hitting. I mean, he's still hitting 350 with 27 homers. So I think Kag getting an invite, and then Shanwell is getting an invite. And then it, I guess it's Dylan Cruz. Dylan Cruz, Shanwell. You're going to leave J.J. Weatherholt out? I mean, I mean, if, if my here's my criteria. They've been doing it from day one. I, okay. I mean, like the Weatherholt has too, it, though. Has Weatherholt been he, he got injured. Lately, he got injured he, for like a couple weeks, and he's missed some games, and his numbers are this good. Dude, it's hard. It's hard. I don't want to leave him. This out, will be the year that like, there'll be four. I mean, they're gonna to have to invite four people there. Um, wait, how did he? How, how did he miss? He, he missed five games. All right, so that means Dylan Cruz getting walked. He's. I mean, Cruz getting walked what fifty times. He had yeah. fifty-one walks. Shanwell had fifty-two walks. And Weatherhole still had more ABs than them, so they're getting walked a ton. Yeah, um, that's, that's that's why. That's why I'm giving it to them. For, for the listeners at home, let me just read you the list of guys who have won the Golden Spikes Award. And it's like almost a surefire you're going to be an MLB All-Star. Um, so obviously, Melinda's won it last year from Texas. Cops won it in 2021. They haven't made their debut yet. It's been two years. Um, but let's go down. Adley Rutschman, incredible. Andrew Vaughn, like big leaguer. Brendan McKay, uh, when he wasn't injured, he was in the big leagues for the for the Rays and playing really well. Kyle Lewis, Rookie of the Year. Andrew Benatendi, All-Star. A.J. Reed. Now, A.J. Reed actually was a bad MLB player for the Astros. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of a – he made it to the majors, but he just never well, – How was. about let's, – let's, 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 let's hit the break here. <laughs> Winning the Golden Spikes isn't a surefire All-Star, but you're more than likely going well, no. to make your debut. Yeah, but I, I haven't gotten to the, like the cream of the crop here. Chris Bryant, MVP, World Series winner. Mike Zanino, All Star. Trevor Bauer, scumbag. Bryce Harper, uh, MVP, whoa, two, whoa, three times. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Keep it, keep it strictly baseball here. Bauer <laughs> is a Cy Young winner. A Mickey to... Mouse Cy Young winner. I know. I had to throw. I'm an Astros fan, so I had to throw a, a, some shade at Trevor <laughs> Bauer. Let's keep um, the baseball here. All right, Bryce Harper, Steven Strasburg, Buster Posey, David Price, Tim Lincecum, Alex Gordon, Jared Weaver, Ricky Weeks, Khalil Green, Mark Pryor. Um, Pat Burrell, JD Drew, like the, Mark Kotze, Jason Veritek. Like these guys are all those heaven. are Hall of Famers. Yeah. Dude, I mean, some of them. Actually, none of them are. What are you talking about? I don't think any of them are Hall of Famers. Harper will be a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Posey, Bryant, Posey probably will. not. Maybe. Um, David Price, is he a Hall of Famer? Nah. No. Rutschman might be. Buster Posey, the Hall of Famer. Yeah, Posey for sure. Um, you know what? I'm surprised that Nomar didn't win a Golden Spikes at Georgia Tech. Well, it was, wasn't that because of uh, he was there in what '94 at Georgia I Tech? Mean, it was him, Veritech, and uh, Mark Payton, or what's his name? 
Veritek uh, in the, the the big three, in Peyton. Yeah, it would. The, I mean, yeah. But anyway, yeah. I mean, it. <coughs> Dude, we both have the coughs today. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So I mean, that's it. That's all we've got on the gold bike. Cruz, Caglione, Shanwell, Weatherhole, Scheme. All those guys are still have a shot to get the golden ticket to New York. Yeah. Um, but in my opinion, they're going to have to bring four of them. You just can't narrow it down to three. Um, all right, here we go. So next, you said two hole. We're going to talk about the uh, kind of the, picture of the year. Yeah, picture of, of the year. Look, dude, this is hands down Paul Skeen's award. Or, or I, I mean, Brad Skeen's. I'm sorry. Did you see National College Baseball Writers Association? They they tweeted out that Brad Skeen's of LSU was the pitcher of the week last week. I mean, a Paul and a Brad kind of the same person same Look, kind I, of we've had we've had so many typos on twitter i'm not giving them a hard time like i yeah, think it's funny yeah. but like lsu fans played along and they're like shit man can brad Skeen start on saturday for us <laughs> he's got a brother would lsu would lsu be minus one would they be like a, a favorite like minus 150 if they had a paul scheme and a brad scheme go one two if they had two of them they, they would win the national championship you're not beating schemes twice. You might beat them once. If you literally are guaranteed 99.9% to win two games a weekend, you're winning a national championship. Yeah, 100%. So, oh, anyway. I know, I know a topic I want to talk about here real quick. Um, every week or most weeks, I come out with like a regional uh, field of 64. Wait, 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 wait. You can't just dismiss the pitcher. Who else Does is Brett in? Outer have an argument? No. I mean, yeah, he's been a fantastic pitcher all year. And last he's year. got a better ERA than him by 0.06, which is barely anything. But I mean, I think pitcher of the year comes down to strikeouts. Like how good, how dominant are you? And there's nobody even close to Skeens. Skeens is going to break Ben McDonald's LSU record. He's got 136 strikeouts, right? 30. He's got 139. He needs 61 more to break that 200. He'll get to 200, which is, which is incredible. I mean, that's one, two. Two starts in the regular season, a start in Hoover, a start regional weekend, and a start super. Let's just say he averages 11 strikeout, 55. That's well, not we, we can't say average 11. Let's just say average like eight. Let's just say eight, average he, eight. No, dude, I think he's averaging. Isn't he averaging 10 a game? Yeah, but let's just say that, you know, down the so stretch. 10. Let's just say 10. Okay, 10. That's he needs 50. Six, he needs basically, he needs to make it to Omaha. Yeah, if he makes he it to 200. Omaha, he'll he'll get it. Because he'll get two starts um, in Omaha more than likely. Red Louder, Louder, by the way, has 90. 49 less strikeout. Um, now let's do strikeout. Dude, Paul Skeen's strikeout per nine. I, I haven't seen this number yet. Oh, my God, dude. He's averaging 17 strikeout per nine. Yeah, I mean, that's that's got to be a record, right? I don't know what the NCAA record is, but... Per nine for a qualified guy, that's got to be it. Should I pull that up right now? Yeah. NCAA baseball stat record. While, while you're pulling that up, let me talk about some other pitchers that like I kind of have in the draft mix this year, you know, draft eligible guys. Um, you know, of course, I think, I mean, I think Hurston Waldrip is going to be a high draft pick just because teams see his stuff. And I don't think they're using Waldriff's stuff effectively. Um, we've talked about it on a recent episode. He's just throwing too many fastballs. But 
His splitter, unhittable when it's on. Slider, unhittable. It's the exact same arm slot as his fastball. He just goes middle-middle too much with his fastball, which can be easily adjusted once he gets to pro ball. Um, I mean, he's not even in con- he's not in the conversation for hey. pitcher of the year. Uh, Doe Lander is another one. Go ahead. I don't know why you wanted to start a new topic. You know how fast I can pull this stuff up. All right, go ahead. The record is 16.79 strikeouts per nine by Ryan Wagner of Houston in 2003. Oh, one, dude, one of my favorites. I used to go watch him. as like an eight. Ryan Wagner? Oh, yeah. 79 in the third inning, 148 strikeouts. I remember going – my dad took me and my little brother, uh, 2003 – it was a Houston versus Rice. Um, I don't. I, I thought it was postseason baseball. It might have been just like a weekend series or something. But that was when Rice had three first-round draft picks as pitchers, and then um, they ended up winning the College World Series that year. And then Houston was loaded, and like they had like probably four or five draft picks on that team. Um, that was that was a fun time to live in Houston, watching those teams so battle. Anyway, it out. Steven Strasburg average 16.1 strikeout per nine in 2009 he finished the year with 195 strikeouts in 109 innings so paul Skeens needs 61 56 more strikeouts to tie strasburg yeah um i'm gonna write that down 56 to tie strasburg because i'm gonna put that on our record watch on our little thing because I'll have I want to I'll have a graphic for that. But based on that, I'm gonna I'm gonna go on a limb and say that Strasburg holds a single season record for strikeout. No, because I don't want to do that because guy threw 180 innings back in the day. Yeah. Maybe since like the super regional era. Maybe I'm I'm not sure though. Let me let me look. Maybe Mark Pryor. He was a, a stud at USC. Lincecum threw a lot of innings for Washington. I remember that. I mean, what was a strikeout? Um, I wonder what like Kumar and Jack Leiter were. They they had to have been like at least one fifty, right? Let me see strikeouts in a season. Vanderbilt was six hundred and ten in two thousand fifteen. Um, let's see strikeouts. Um, up there, the Floyd Bannister. 217. Nope. Derek Tatsuno from Hawaii, 234 strikeout. Is that the record? In uh, 2021, Kumar Rocker had 179 strikeouts. Yeah. Only 39 and Jack Ryder had 179. They both tied. I remember that now. Yeah. yeah. Um, so two, two, 220 from East Evan Thomas, FIU. Two, 208, 223, 234. Yep, is the record. Yeah, Skeens isn't touching that, but Derek, oh my God, dude, he led the country in strikeout three years in a row. One forty-six as a freshman, one sixty-one as a sophomore, two thirty-four as a junior. How many innings as a junior? Um, his record-breaking year, one hundred seventy-four innings. Yeah, see, like nobody will ever get to that ever again. I mean, seventy-four is insane. Skeens would have to pitch one hundred and two more innings. That's three innings a game. Every single game, 170, whatever. You just can't do that. Hey, 174 innings in 22 games. That's insane. Yeah, dude. That's not getting broken ever again. Oh, maybe uh, – never mind. I was going to make a 
Mississippi State, Gerangelo Sanja joke. Like maybe if he threw righty one game, lefty the next. <laughs> but no, it won't. By the way, Sanja going through the freshman growing pain could he hasn't really been much since the hype. I feel uh, bad I for mean, him. I mean, it wasn't they, hyping him on wasn't hyping him on how good he was. It was hyping on the incredible, like rare achieve, rare, rare feat. I respect him. They put him in a terrible spot. Like, oh, was, that's what I'm saying. They broke him. You just can't put a freshman in the SEC on Friday nights. It's like it's hard. You can't do it. You cannot do that. And now I just hope <laughs> he is strong enough mentally and whatever yeah, to he's fine. to improve and grow based off of that. But I wouldn't be surprised if he transfers out. Ooh, that would be crazy. Um, he probably will. He probably will. Pitching coaches out. He in a place where he probably doesn't have the trust in I don't know. I could totally see him transferring out, but we can move on. Yeah. Um, hey, so let's talk just about MLB draft stuff right now. I know we still have uh, about, what is it, like 60 days-ish? It's July, whatever, um, is the MLB draft. But, you know, I've been doing a ton of research on these high school prospects, right? And the high school prospects are very, very interesting to me because – a lot of them, or not a lot, but there have been several that have come out and said, like, you know, if the MLB draft doesn't work out the way I want it to be, like, I am more than happy to go to commit to my school and fulfill the commitment and go to college baseball, which is something that was very, very rare. Um, even whenever we played, if you were a, a high school guy and they offered you, you know, mid six figures to sign, you're, you're signing that contract. Um, this year, and I think we saw a little bit of it last year other than like the top four picks that were all uh, – or not all, but there was a lot of top top high school draft picks last year with uh, Andrew Jones' son, Drew Jones, and Tamar Johnson, and um, you know Matt Holliday's nephew. Um, Jackson. Jackson Holliday. But anyways, like that aside, this year there's, there's about 40 of the top 100, in my opinion, high school prospects. But I don't think more than like – 10 or 15 are going to sign with the draft because college baseball one is way more exciting than getting on a bus in Iowa city or, you know, Idaho playing low, like rookie ball or staying at extended spring training, blah, blah, blah. Um, and these kids I think would rather develop in an exciting atmosphere, play day one as a freshman, you know, go be the starting shortstop at Arkansas or go be the Friday night guy or Saturday guy for a Florida or a Mississippi state. Yeah. Um, I mean, the and, first college player off the board last year was a six with yeah. Jacob Baird. And and so like that, so last year was kind of an exception because the high school guys were just better than the college prospects. Um, this year, it is a loaded college draft um, draft class. You get Do guys – loaded? I think there's a big drop-off. Well, okay, there is a big drop-off, but still, like would you rather take a guy like Kyle Teal – Virginia's catcher who's hitting like over 400 this year lefty um, or would you rather you know invest in a high school catcher that um, you know maybe is tearing it up in high school but like you haven't I think seen them catching, I think catcher is a weird spot because I would take the college catcher over the high school catcher nine out of ten times okay they must they have to be a freak because catching is, is not just about hitting and tools and stuff it's about knowing the game it's about yeah. the smart about a lot more than just being toolsy. So I guess my point is, I ex excuse me, I expect a lot of high school kids to 
you know, they have meetings before the draft with the teams and everything. Like, what's your number? Um, how much would you sign you for, or would you sign for? I think if a high school guy isn't getting the max slot value or at least 80% or higher of the slot value, go to college, go and develop at a fun college town, you know, focus on like, you know, growing physically, mentally in the college weight room that are million dollar weight rooms. Um, and, you know, kind of figure yourself out because odds are like, yeah, money, the money is nice. You know, $3 million is nice, but, um, to MLB teams, that's nothing. You could work your way up to a five or six million dollar uh, contract three years from now and still get paid NIL money from your your SEC school or ACC school, Pac-12, whatever. Um, so, like, here's a good example: like Yo-Yo Morales from Miami. I think, like, as far as prospects go, sure, some of these high school shortstops and third basemen have higher ceilings, but like, you know what you're getting with Yo-Yo Morales because you have analytics to back it up like exit velo off the charts you know strong arm at third base somebody that is like physically mature and will fit into a high a locker room day one um you know he's he's like ranked on some of these sites in like the 30s or 40s but for me if i'm an mlb guy like mlb gm i would take him over a guy um that's maybe coming out of like indiana high not indiana high school because that's max clark but um maybe like a massachusetts high school or you know Colorado high school because like you just never know with it's way more of a risk. So I think this year's draft is going to be surprisingly heavy on college um, just because there's analytics and numbers to back it up um, and these guys are just physically more developed and less of a risk. Yeah, I've never I've always been I've always been a I like the college guy more than the high school guy because yes Teams want to hit a slam dunk jackpot with a high school prospect. Mm-hmm. Like they, he might just be the slam dunk next Bryce Harper, for example. Right. But the college guy, you might not hit jackpot, but you know you are a much more surefire, is much more of a surefire pick. And so I'm thinking here, like, why do these teams want to take the risk of just swinging and missing on a high school bus? Mm-hmm. Rather than going get someone established from the college range, and if you do that every year, your your organization is going to be way more talented from high A all the way up to the big leagues. You're going to have more talented players all over the place. Yeah. If you continue to hammer out quality young college guys, I mean, yeah, go ahead and take your your one big swing on a high school guy, but not with a top five pick. I just don't. Yeah. I don't get it. I can well, be totally wrong. That's why I, I'm not a. That's why I'm not a draft analyst. Yeah, another thing is with these college juniors, draft eligible juniors, they have no leverage after this year. So you can sign them for cheaper than a high school guy that's like, hey, I'm going to go to Vanderbilt instead. Like, I really want to go to Vanderbilt unless you pay me $5 million, the full max value. Versus a guy like Jacob Wilson, who's done everything at Grand Canyon. Like, obviously his ceiling's low, but his floor is probably the highest floor out of anybody. Um, You're like, hey, Jacob, would you take... 3.1 3.1 million instead of five. Yep. All right. I, if I'm a GM, I'm happy with that. Cause next year, if, if Jacob Wilson comes back, maybe gets injured in college or whatever, like he's going to slip so far in the draft. Yep. So uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not a draft analyst, so I don't want to sit here and do it, but I would always, unless the high school guy is, you know, like Drew Jones, for example, or right. Like this Max Clark kid who's unbelievable well, committed to Vanderbilt. But it's just like, man, 
they have so many years of growing. They could become, they can change. They can change. Why not just go ahead and go get, you know, Wyatt Langford or something over Mac Clark and just, yeah. I mean, safe. listen though, like there are a few guys in the high school class this year, Max Clark, uh, Walker Jenkins, uh, Aiden Miller, Thomas White. There's a Thomas White, uh, lefty pitcher. Uh, like there are like a few high school kids this year that are going to be top 10 picks. I think, um, Max Clark, of course, and White. Sorry, not White Langford. Uh, Max Clark and Walker Jenkins, they're they're both freaking studs, and like I think they would get the max. But anyways, I don't want to spend too much time on draft talk. We're gonna dive into that, um, you know, later, later in the year, much later, because there's still a lot to be, um, you know, figured out. And uh, what I really want to talk about here, just briefly, is kind of uh, I, I came out with my regional projections, top sixty four teams, and posted it on Monday, and like. I want to. I don't want to go through my regional sixty-four because it's been posted on Twitter. I want to go off of some some reasonings that I think the committee will stick by this year. Last year, non-conference strength of schedule played a big factor in at-large bids. Uh, if you played a non like a great non-conference strength of schedule, you were going to get in over a team, um, you know, like NC State who missed out or Rutgers. But so I think non-conference strength of schedule is going to play again this year. Uh, so that's one key stat. If you're looking at regional projections, go look at your team stuff, blah, blah, blah. I'm Warren Nolan. But some some kind of like rules that I wrote down. Either Boston College or UConn will host a regional. One of them. Um, unless they both just tank at the end of the year, there's going to be a, a Northeastern school. Uh, and I guess you can kind of throw Maryland in that list. They're not looking like they're out of the picture to host a regional, but I guess if they rattle off like 10 straight wins like you got to consider them but there'll be a northeastern school to host a regional uh it's going to be boston college or yukon i lean boston college right now just tougher schedule better rpi more quad one wins uh and those kind of things so that's one rule to look at when when doing a regional projection this year another one is like southern miss will host a regional before dallas baptist will now they both i guess could technically if Southern Miss wins the Sun Belt uh, regular season, does well in the tournament, and and gets some good quad one wins up there, quad one, quad two wins, uh, Southern Miss will host over Dallas Baptist because they swept Dallas I mean, Baptist. I feel like that's obvious. Yeah, BBU got two quad one wins. Southern Miss got seven. Yeah, um, and unless Southern Miss tanks and just doesn't play well, and Dallas Baptist like sweeps UTSA this weekend. Uh, I just don't think the Sun Belt getting two hosts. That's, that's the thing. Well, that, here comes another rule. I think two mid-major teams are going to host a regional because every year it's like that. Um, the last couple of years it was like ECU hosting in like that 8 to 10 range and a 16 seed. Last year it was um, Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern. And 2021 was Louisiana Tech. So I think that there's going to be a 16 seed mid-major team. And is it going to be like Coastal, Indiana State, Southern Miss, East Carolina, UConn, Campbell, Dallas Baptist? Like all of those teams are like teams to look out for. And and they're going to be put into a a, a 16 spot uh, to face probably number one Wake Forest or LSU. What I'm saying, what I'm saying is the Sun Belt's not getting two. They could though. It's not going to. It's not going to happen. So yeah, you're right. There, it probably won't happen, but they could. Southern Miss and Coastal, 
win out and then face each other in the Sun Belt Championship, like their resumes are going to be the two best. Yeah, but I mean, when when you look at when you look at and go through, you know, fill out those sixteen, you just you just run out of room. And well, do when you think when, like for example, let's say there are two spots left in four, three teams, four teams. One of those Sun Belt teams going to get one of them. The other one is not going to get it. The committee will not give Sunbelt two hosting spots. As I much think, as maybe they deserve it, it won't happen. I think, like, if you would have said that last year or the year before, you're right. But the Sunbelt, in my opinion, is the fourth best conference. I think it's better than the Big 12. I, I understand that. But one of these teams has to be, like, they're, they're I mean, they're both, I mean, to, if the end of today, Coastal would get a bid. Southern Miss wouldn't get a hosting bid. Right. If see if if Southern Miss obviously rolls out coastal trip, Southern Miss might get the hosting bid over coastal because that's how hard it is. You have to be yeah. perfect for fifty six games to get that bid. And I mean, I just it'll yeah. be interesting. It'll definitely be interesting who gets it because that Sunbelt tournament is going to be important for both of those teams for sure. And then so another rule that I have between Coastal Carolina, East Carolina, and Campbell. One of those three is going to host, but no more than one, just because of how many hosts are coming from that uh, that like southeast regional or southeast section of North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, West Virginia, Virginia. Like that area is going to have so many hosts already that, and you can even throw Florida in there as well. Florida and Miami will both probably host, but they're going to want to spread things out. So one mid-major team in that area will probably host, but there won't be more than one, um, and. Here's another rule that I have. I think Indiana State will probably host a regional because of geographic purposes and RPI. I know you're probably going to take the opposite side of this, but 100% taking the opposite side of this. I know. I know their numbers, quad one wins, and you know everything kind of fights against me. But the committee has done crazy things, and they want these regionals spread out especially with three teams in Indiana probably going to make a regional with Indiana State, Indiana, and Notre Dame, um, all three in different conferences, as well as teams like Kansas State, not too far. Um, and you got like teams in Missouri and uh, like in that Midwest area, Ohio. So there's going to be a need for a team up there kind of in the, uh, the Midwest. And I think the committee is just going to say, look, Indiana State has a top 15 RPI. Uh, let's throw them in as a 16 seed. Let's throw them in as a, a 14 seed, or whatever the case may be. Um, now they're going to load that regional up, I think, with some really, really good teams. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. Because, <laughs> like, if you were, to, if someone were to ask me, if Indiana State or Campbell, for example, or Indiana State and UConn, for example, I would give the hosting spot to you, Connor Campbell. Am I the, com the committee making this decision? No, but I do think the committee will not give Indiana State a regional. They do have the number two non-conference strength of schedule. They loaded it up. Yeah. But they only have two quad one win, which they're two and nine, which means they lost a lot of those games. So, and the game they did win, let me see where, where their quad one win. Um, Iowa? No, no, they lost to Iowa. Sorry. They lost to Iowa. Their quad one wins are... I know Vanderbilt is one. Oh, yeah. Okay, Vanderbilt won. Indiana is the second one. 
Indiana. So, okay, Indiana and Vandy are your two quad one wins. You got swept by Northeastern. You got swept by Kentucky, like, and you got beat by Miami. I mean, it's just like, yeah. I mean, I mean you know what I'm saying? Like, what did they do to show the committee that they belong among the the, the top teams in the country, which is the top sixteen in this case? So, I would give the Campbell has shown multiple big wins. UConn has some good wins. I mean, I mean. But you get where I'm I'm going with this. East, yeah. I mean, East Carolina, I would probably give the hosting bid over Indiana State, even though East Carolina hasn't been that great this year. Mm-hmm. But they just win. They're winning more quality games. Not, I, I'm not saying they're playing more quality, but they're winning more. So yeah. Indi- Indiana State is literally up there because their schedule is so hard this year. But they didn't win many of the games. So what's, what good is that? Right. In terms of quad one win. I just know that the, the, the committee does value um, – like kind of how the like the geographic reason. So it would make sense for an Indiana State or a Dallas Baptist or maybe like Oregon State can play their way in very easily. Um, like there's got to be another team out west other than Stanford. And when I say out west, I mean like western than like Tennessee. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everything out is west, just bunched Texas, up there. Out west is basically Texas and over. Yeah, and um, uh, I mean I it's going to be Stanford. It's going to be Stanford and. Oklahoma State might be your two Western hosts. Yeah, Oklahoma State does kind of fit the need. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you look at, like, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Florida. Um, you got, like, Winston-Salem, Coral Gables, Gainesville, uh, Durham, uh, Charlotte, like, Virginia is there. Clemson, probably going to host a regional. Columbia is probably going to host a regional. Conway, like, everything is in that, like, east, very east coast. Which is but it's always that way. It's not, it's not that way, ninety-nine percent of the time. Yeah, I mean, I the, guess the, the, the Texas and all the way over to the Atlantic coast is full of the regional. Then you have two out west. Usually, the Oregon State and Stanford. Sometimes UCLA on the odd or even year. Yeah, Arizona um, has been there too. Yeah, but, but but that usually means one of the other ones missing out. Usually, yeah, right. So Texas Tech is always like one of their west coasts. It's funny, but yeah, yeah. Texas Tech's always used there. But anyways, I don't want to dive any further into that just because midweeks happened and you know weekend series like everything i just said here might just be scratched after the week um here's here's a little just topic that i want to kind of briefly run up with you dimitri being a four seed in a regional and being a one seed in the regional what kind of strategies are you working with there let's say you're the one seed let's say you're lsu when do you throw paul skeens do you throw him against game two, game two. thank you your goal is not to advance in a regional. Your goal is to win the regional. Yeah. And if you lose game one, you, your team wasn't very good anyway. You're probably we're going to struggle to win the regional anyway if you can't beat a four seed with your number two starter. Mm-hmm. Now, with that being said, your goal is to win the regional. So who gives you the best chance to get to that regional final in the one and no game? Paul Skeen. Yeah. And you can get there without Paul Skeen. So that's my take on that. Yeah, um, I, there was a lot of people kind of disagreeing with this take on Twitter, so that's why I wanted to bring I mean, it up. I mean, I mean, Ben, if you're a team like Maryland, if you're a team like Coastal, if you're a team like Tennessee, if you're a team like Stanford, if you're a team like, I don't know, Vanderbilt, I mean, most of these teams got to go with their number one. But if yeah. LSU is the top one, two national seed, 
and they get an absolutely horrendous four seed, and you can't win a game against the four seed with your number two starter, you're not winning the national championship. Yeah, exactly. So, like, so, it, it's like it, it is what it is. If you lose it, yeah, you're going to be pissed <laughs> off that we should have started Paul's team. Well, I have something to tell you. Your number two wasn't winning a 1-0 game anyway if, exactly. if you can't win for the four seed. Yeah, I, I think that there's many scenarios where, like, you have to throw your one your number one starter against the four seed. Like, for example, if Oklahoma State hosts a regional and they're playing Oral Roberts, uh, like, you got to throw You got to go your one. You got to go Watts Brown. Um, but if you're somebody like LSU or, or, or Wake, Wake Forest, like, maybe if, you're, if your number two starter can't beat the four seed, like, you're in trouble anyways. You, well, you're not going to advance. Wake is a different story. Wake is a di- and, like, it's almost different because yeah, they, they do have a three-man rotation. Mm-hmm. They can go red louder game one, and their number two can easily win game two. So that's a little bit different. Can they switch it up? Sure. But Wake Forest, I think, because the problem we're having, the reason why we're having this talk is because LSU rotation or pitching staff outside of Paul Skeen is pretty horrendous. Yeah. I mean, I think they're they're pretty bad. I mean, I'm not saying they're not talented. They're just not consistent and they're not good enough. Exactly. Um, now let's flip the role here. As a four seed, I think you should always throw your number two as a four seed for multiple reasons. One, if you waste your number one against the number one seed, then you have your number two throwing in an elimination game. And you know, your goal as a four seed is to win a game. Like you got to win a game to like boost your your team. Uh, like it, it just makes your season more successful. If you're a team like Kent State or Army, Ryder, Oral Roberts, if you go zero and two in a regional, you know it kind of just I mean, it's cool that you like, made uh, it. It was fun to be here. Yeah, it, it's just you. you but get what if I say that? What if what if you're let's just say you're Alabama State, and you find out that Paul Skeens is not starting game one. Why shouldn't you just go? Oh, let's go for it. Let's go. Let's go with our number one. I mean, if you if if their number one is that good, then yeah, you should. But other than that scenario, I think so. Basically, and then the other thing that I was going to mention is the, the as a four seed, if you're trying to win a regional and get to a super regional, you throw your number two game one. Just hope that you you get some momentum and hit the ball and and you and you, and you win the game right. Then you have your number one going up against the two and three seeds number two pitcher, and if you win that game, you got to get beat twice. And like obviously, there's a lot more factors that go into it. But as a four seed, if you're if you're Wofford or if you're Wofford, probably won't be a four seed. But uh, let's say Southeast Missouri, and you're I in the. That we're having this conversation when we have two regular season weekends. Right? I know. I just I, I want it was because of Twitter. Somebody pissed me off on Twitter. Um, when I mentioned something about Paul Skeen's throwing game two and, but as a, as a four seed, you should throw your game two or your, your number two starter game one, because you want your number one seed either going in the elimination game. If you lose to win one game or to go in that winner's bracket game to try to, you'll beat the number two starter for a two or three. Seed. You, yeah. But it's, it's gotta be on a, on a, on a team to team basis. You can't just throw that, out as a general statement saying all one seed should throw their number two start. You can't do that. It should be a very team-specific statement because as a general statement, I don't agree with it. In some scenarios, I agree with it. So I, mm-hmm. I, if you're listening to this and you're a one seed or whatever, 
I'm not saying throw your number two. I'm saying if there's a specific scenario like Paul Skeens and LSU, I would strongly consider it and probably do it. But other yeah. than that, win your win your first game. Like <laughs> start your regional off one and zero because you don't know what can happen after that. But if you lose that first game, it's really hard to come all the way through. You got to be perfect for four straight games in the postseason. Yeah. That's not easy to do. Right. Um, all right. Cool. So. Let's. You want to go ahead and preview the weekend now, and and talk about um, the six weekend series, or was there something? Just, else? There was a couple things from the midweek I wanted to point out. Clemson is rolling. What? Oh, I wasn't even going to start with Clemson. What Campbell did to UNC Wilmington on Tuesday night, it it just shows you how good this team is when they are playing well. Yeah. And I think we talked about Campbell kind of slowing down a little bit for like one two weeks. They lost back to back midweeks. They dropped the game to Longwood. Drop the game to Presbyterian, and then, but they're they're heating up again. Pitching is dominating. Offense is rolling again. They scored twenty four against UNCW. Who? I mean, they swept what, North Carolina and Elon last. Um, the not swept, but the two midweeks last week they won both of them. Mm-hmm. Rolled up back at home. UNC Wilmington in town. They hung a twenty four spot on them, and UNC Wilmington the good team. Yeah, they just so won a series Campbell against Northeastern, right? Yep, they're heating up again. So and, and northeastern, northeastern just whooped Maryland um, in the midweek. So like, yep. that CAA conference is is good. It's it's loaded. It's really good. Um, but yeah, I mean, shout out to Ryder. Um, big upset over Duke Tuesday night. Um, they uh, are tied for first in the Mac Mac with um, Canisius. So that's a good team. That's another good team that can. Like we just talked about, be a four seed that shocks the world on a Friday night in the regional. So yeah, um, pretty much all I have for Tuesday. Oh, in well, Vanderbilt, how about North Florida? I mean, South Carolina is down bad, injured, down bad. They can't hit. Their, the pitchers are just not good. Like they, they're just throwing their second wave of pitchers because everybody they else is hurt. Up quick, they need to heat up real soon. I mean, either this weekend or next, we can heat up and carry it over into Hoover and get that um, that ship right. Um, right. Louisville, they're down. They're done. They might be out of it unless they absolutely go all out and win the ACC tournament in Durham. They might not make um, the ACC tournament. Right now, if the ACC tournament was this weekend, they wouldn't be in. Is that right? Is, yeah. Are they out? Let me see. Let yeah. me see. Yeah, Louisville's what done. Is the top five from each division? Uh, 12 teams make it out of 14. Oh, so it's top six. No, yeah, Louisville's in. Then. No, they're not. They, they have the... Hold on. I saw a tweet. Is it, is, it, is it top 12 overall or top six from each division? No, it's top 12 overall. Well, then in that case, they're not in it. Yeah. They're not in. Still six games yeah. left. But, um, yeah, as of right now, Louisville and Florida State Seven, won't make eight, it. 9, 10, 11, 12. They've, they're competing with Pittsburgh. And as of right now, they're not in it. And, and like, Georgia Tech, um, they're kind of on the bubble there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Louisville – they, their season is done, and they played so well against Vanderbilt in the midweek. Lost in like fourteen innings. They gave yes, up a four that's spot. That's crazy. That's why people are probably sitting here like Louisville, a good team. They're not a great team. They're a good team, and they're probably better than sixty teams in the country or sixty-four. Mm-hmm. But that's how it. That's that's why people fight for you know thirteen and seventeen in the SEC, one or two games under five hundred in ACC play. They those are still really good teams, mm-hmm. but. 
you gotta you gotta you gotta take into account some sort of winning and losing. And Louisville's right. not doing a good job of that. Uh, and Wednesday, what, what do we have anything really on Wednesday? Uh, Clemson, like you said, they're steamrolling, absolutely smacked him. Uh, Coastal. Yeah, that was a bad loss for Coastal. They got shelled. Clemson's won one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten of their last eleven. And out of those eleven games, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten of them are against top thirty-five teams in the country. Yeah, it, it, dude, it's wild. Um, it's it's Eric Backich, man. He does it every year. He did it every year with Michigan. Slow they get first hot half. At the end. Got hot at the end. I don't know what his trick is, if it's analytics-based or if it's just player development throughout the year, but he did it in 2019, led Michigan to a national title uh, or national title game, uh, lost to Vanderbilt game three, but then they did it last year and won the Big Ten tournament, and they were hot at the end of the year last year, got into the tournament. So, Boy, the boy, the sizzling yeah. in Doug Kingsmore. Here's, uh, here's one more thing I want to do before we – uh, talk about the weekend series. So I, I posted a tweet here that was, in my opinion, like kind of funny because every May, like the middle of May, it's it's kind of the start of people really paying attention to college baseball again. Like they don't they don't watch a single game from February to like May, like basically February 14th to May 15th or 14th. They don't they don't watch a single game. But then they come out on on social media and they act like they know everything, like everything that's happened in the year. And it was funny because there was like a South Carolina fan and a Clemson fan. It was basically South Carolina fans and Clemson fans all night through our mentions, just arguing with each other. And of course, like we're tagged in the post or whatever, like on every single reply. And it was clearly a South Carolina fan and a Clemson fan that just hadn't watched college baseball other than like last May and June. Uh, and there was just so many facts that were just not right. I was just sitting back laughing. So I basically said it's it's the start of people who don't watch college or people who don't watch regular season games but act like they know everything when the postseason starts season. Uh, it's blind resume season. I've been seeing some blind resumes go around. Canceling RPI or canceling games for RPI reasons. It's that season. There were several, several in the midweek. Uh, and then, of course, like are you hosting season? So, yeah, I mean – if you're a true college baseball fan, or even if you're not, just sit back and enjoy it on social media. Don't get in any kind of arguments because most of the people now that are going to be commenting and posting tweets, they, they don't. Half of them are trolling, dude. Yeah, they're Half trolling. Trolls. They bring like football and basketball into the conversations, and it's like, all right, let's just stop. <laughs> Anyways, um, so our six weekend series here brought to you by Circus Sportsbook. Um, in my opinion, the biggest series that I'll be keeping the most attention to is, is Dallas Baptist at UTSA because Fantastic it's the battle. Series. It's the battle for first place in conference USA. They're really the only two teams that have stood out this year. Uh, now that Southern Miss and old dominion left. And I think that that series will decide a lot. If Dallas Baptist sweeps or wins the series, they really boost their regional hosting picture. Um, if UTSA wins the series, they're basically a lock for the tournament. I know their RPI is like kind of on the bubble, but how are you going to leave out the winner of Conference USA regular season? Uh, it, so UTSA needs to win the series just as much as Dallas Baptist. That's the one I'm going to be spending the most time watching, but there are other great series out there. 
Um, did you want to say something about DBU and UTSA or did you want to save it? I mean, UTSA is in a not they they shouldn't panic, but they they're in a let's have a little shit in our neck. Like let's let's get the finish the job here because 54 RPI is fringe zone. It's dangerous territory. Like maybe you can get if somebody's feeling nice in the committee, they'll put you in. But for the they most got left part, out last year, right? You get left out of the party. So UTSA needs to get their their shit together and win and find a way to win this. At home, too. Um, and then we have Vanderbilt at Florida. Probably two of the the most complete – probably two of the most complete starting rotations. Like, they both have, like, three men that go pretty much every week um, and offenses that are able to explode. That's That'll be a fun one. It's at Florida there. And uh, we have North Carolina State at North Carolina. Everybody knows the rivalry there between the uh, – Wolfpack and Tar Heels. And the Tar Heels, they got chippy. They got in a little... Speaking of rivalry and little chippy shit, North Carolina and Gardner-Webb got in a little scuffle. And Tennessee and... Uh, Tennessee and... Austin P. Austin P. got into a little scuffle on Tuesday night. So, boys are heating up. They're getting, they're getting antsy and fiery and competitive. Yeah. Um, so, we have... NC State at UNC and then uh, Kentucky at Tennessee. So everybody knows about Tennessee's struggle. I mean, it's so bad on the road. Away from home, they're they're a bad team. It's not like they get bad luck and they whatever. Like they just run the bases terribly. They make stupid errors. They don't throw strikes. It's like they only win at home. They're two and eleven on the road this year. Crazy. But they're at home this weekend against Kentucky. And if like Kentucky can win that series. I know they're like the number one RPI team in the country, but like that should lock up a regional hosting spot, probably a national seed. Um, and then we have Kansas State at Oklahoma State, uh, second place, third. I think they're tied for second in the Big Twelve right now, uh, and it's at Oklahoma State, which is big advantage for the Cowboys, who also play a lot better at home. And then last but not least, Alabama at Texas A and M. They are. Are they tied or are they separated by one game in the uh, SEC standings? The reason why we picked this series is because the winner of it is is going to be a lock to make a regional. Uh, the loser maybe has to do a little bit more work. Yeah, they're both 11 and 13. So the winner of the series would be 13 and 14. 13 SEC wins usually get you in. Um, the loser would be 12 and 15. So... That's kind of why we picked that one there. Both uh, Alabama has a much higher RPI, 15 versus 34. So those are the six weekend series there. Get into it. Let's get into it. We have, let's start here with UTSA hosting Dallas Baptist. So for me, Dallas Baptist is probably one of the, I would say they're a top 15 pitching staff in college baseball. Now, of course, they don't face these brutal offenses on a week-in and week-out basis, but like pitching-wise, they, they, they typically have if one ace on Friday night. I just forgot his name. I, ha- I should have wrote it down. I thought I had it memorized, but he wins pretty much every Friday night. He's got the goggles on, electric, whippy right arm. Um, and then they have a reliever-slash-closer who was my old bat boy in high school. Um, he's been tearing it up, too. So... Dallas Baptist 24 and 4 at home, but 12 and 8 on the road. 
you, you look at UTSA and they're a team that's more of an explosive offense and the pitching is shaky. Don't like, disrespect my boy, Simon Miller. Simon Miller's going to get those boys off the one and those start and take the series. I'm giving you my pick. Give me the runners. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to take, uh, I'm going to take UTSA here as well. They're 25 and five at home. Um, they need a whole new home stadium, but I like, I like an explosive offense over a more consistent pitching staff. And uh, I mean, they just swept rice scoring nine, 10 and 11 runs last week. Give me uh give me UTSA. Give me the runners. Next series oh, here, runners, Vanderbilt. Baby. Next series, Vanderbilt at Florida. I don't know what to make of these teams because like sometimes they look fantastic. Sometimes they look absolutely terrible. And for me, I'm gonna take uh I'm gonna take Vanderbilt just because I trust, I think I trust their starting pitching more and their offense does have like other ways to beat you other than getting walked a few times and then hitting a three run double or a grand slam. That's just kind of how I see Florida's offense this year. Kind of boom or bust. Um, it's in Gainesville, which makes it tough, but give me, give me Vanderbilt. I like Florida home. I really do. I think Florida at home, um, it's a different animal versus on the road. I think they do have some sort of home field mojo vibe going down there. I think they get back on track. I don't see Florida losing two series in a row. Um, give me the Gators at home. <laughs> now, Florida. Um, now, this is kind of like a battle of like the two, in my opinion, two most reliable head coaches. Like they usually get their teams up for these big series. So Corbin versus Soli will be fun to watch this weekend. Um so you took Florida? Florida can still win the East. If they win two out of three this weekend, they'll be 17 and 10. Vanderbilt will be 18 and 9. They'll be a game back heading into the final weekend. With a tiebreaker. With the tiebreaker. And Bandy goes to uh goes home and plays Arkansas. Meanwhile, Florida next weekend gets Kentucky on the road. So Florida still got something to play for to get that uh get that one or two seed in Hoover winning yeah, these for sure. Um, next one we have here, North Carolina, NC state, uh, NC state's in trouble as far as like conference record goes. They, uh, let's see, they are 10 and 13 in the ACC. Now they've played a tough schedule this year, uh, but with them on the road, I just don't know if I'm able to, to trust, kind of their younger offense. Um, North Carolina typically plays NC State better than most teams. I don't know. I'm kind of torn. Who are you, who are you picking here? Um, so I think NC State is an interesting team. A lot of, They haven't really been talked about a lot, but they're 23-7 and seven at home, 7-8 and eight on the road. It's, it's, it's kind of a must-win series for NC State. It, it absolutely is like kind of must win territory for NC State, but they go to Chapel Hill. North Carolina is kind of they're kind of in a similar boat, like you said, with NC State. They play well at home, but not as well as NC State plays at home. So not quite as big of a home field advantage. But both of these teams got to win. They got to win. I think. I mean, North Carolina. Got swept by Boston College, took two out of three Virginia Tech, lost to Campbell, beat East Carolina, and then Gardner Webb last night. Let's do NC State. 
Two out so, of three against Notre Dame. Um, guess what? Like Clemson's twelve, Florida State. You know what? I'm going to take a, a leap of faith here. Give me, give me NC State on the road. Yeah, NC State. Their RPI is good, but last year they got left out of the tournament at like a fourteen and fifteen S or ACC record. If they win the series, they'll be twelve and fourteen. So, like, they're going to be. They're gonna be close to make the tournament. Like they're gonna be on the bubble. I'll take UNC here. I think UNC, at least for me, like I get more confidence in, in North Carolina at home than NC State on the road. Yeah, no, I, I it's gonna it's a tough pick, but I'm gonna I like going with NC State here. Yeah. All right. Um, we have Kentucky at Tennessee. I'm just gonna make this easy. I'm gonna take Tennessee at home. Uh Kentucky, like obviously good team i don't think they're like fantastically great and like their rpi i think is a little elevated so i'll take tennessee at home where they just dominate teams i'm taking tennessee as home as well i think tennessee at home is a very good baseball team i think kentucky on the road is a good team but not as good as they are at home and i do i really do think tennessee is still the more talented team so in this time of the year i'm going to take talent um, and obviously consider home away, but I, I can't pick against Tennessee. I got to roll with the balls. If Tennessee like, wins this series or, or potentially sweeps, like they're back in the hosting picture, maybe over Kentucky. Just, just win two out of three. Yeah. And win two out of three this weekend, worry about next weekend, next weekend. Yep. All right, we got Kansas State at Oklahoma State. I mean, this is kind of the same thing. I, I think this is going to be the, the most popular survivor pick. I don't think people are respecting Kansas State, even though, like, as far as Big Twelve play goes, they they hold they they play great defense. They pitch the ball really well, and they they manufacture runs. Kind of an old school type of offense. Um, I as much as I want to pick Kansas State here, Oklahoma State's like liable to go off for fourteen runs a game it, just because they'll hit the ball out of the ballpark. Uh, give me Oklahoma don't State. Yeah, Oklahoma State. Screws this over a lot of time. I know, but they have to win the series if they want to host. They have to. Well, that's I guess that's for you to decide. I'm taking Oklahoma State here. Same. I already have Oklahoma State locked in as my pick. Oklahoma State at home. I I just I just don't think Kansas State's strong enough. Yeah. Um, Kansas State's RPI is still sitting in like 55. So a win the series. If they win the series, they should. They'll be in a much better place than they are today. Yeah. Well, they'd be in sole place as second. Or they'd be sole second place, which usually will get you in the tournament no matter what. Um, all right, last series here, Alabama at Texas A&M. I'm riding this Alabama train. I think there's some magic now that Bohannon's gone. Uh, Texas A&M, like, fun team, but they're just not – they're not the same team as last year that went to Omaha and did some damage. I think Alabama's got like a lot to play for. They showed out last week against Vanderbilt. I think they're going to keep the momentum. I think Van. I mean, I think Alabama is with the storyline and everything. I think they're worth a shot at 151, 150 to one odds to win the College World Series, just because like the storylines there, they uh, kind of fit the same Ole Miss role as last year. I, I love. I, I think. I think Alabama wins. Hey, roll motherfucking tide, baby. Hey, Alabama money line is a lock. Take Alabama. Anything else is wrong. 
Yeah. Brad Bohannon is out. The roll tighter in Alabama baseball. Take them. Now the numbers suggest we should definitely take Texas A&M. I mean, they just beat Florida two out of three and could have swept. Uh, they lost Dude, six to five on Friday. Hold on. A&M pitching is garbage. I was looking at their stats a little bit. They they don't really know who's going to pitch well for them each weekend, and that's not a good that's not a good thing. Yeah. So um, I think they have a strong veteran lineup. But I know. Hey, Alabama is is dealing with a lot of pitching. I think issues Alabama too. is good. No, but they're dealing with a lot of pitching issues too. I think their Friday and Saturday guys are but out. This but they have the mojo. They have they they. I just I just want to I just want to pick Alabama. I want Alabama to win this series, so I'm actually going to switch my pick. I'm going to take Texas A&M. Oh, you're that's lame. That's boring. I'm going to switch boo, my pick. Boo, boo, that's a boring. This state. is Ben is a Ben is a square. This is purely because I want Alabama to win, and my record this year, and we can pick him, has been bad. Um, I'm going to take me about it. Yeah, I know. Uh, I'm going to take <laughs> Texas A&M. Just, but I will be rooting for Alabama because I do want the storyline to happen. I want them to go to Omaha just because of the whole gambling situation with Bohannon. Like, there would just be a lot of question marks and there'd hey, be a documentary about him. Do you think Brad Bohannon is still making bets or do you think he never bets again in his life? I, look, I don't think the more I was looking into it, and I don't think I came out publicly, but I don't think he was placing bets. I don't think he had any money involved. I think what it was, they, they haven't released who the, the person was who was placing the bets yet, like hasn't done the identity. But think about it like this. What if he was a booster for Alabama baseball and donated NIL money or just booster club money or whatever, and the guy is like, hey, I'm about to bet big time on LSU. to And whatever I win, I'll donate back to the program. Because I heard it was a six-figure bet um, that he was trying to place. And you went a hundred. Was it like fifty thousand dollars? The more info that's coming out, there's there's been reports of it being two six figure bets. Um, I don't think it's been confirmed in the investigation or come out publicly, but I've been seeing a lot of six figure bets coming out. And what if he was like, "Hey, I'm gonna put a six figure bet down, and you know, I'm a multi millionaire. Like this means nothing, but if like if you don't think he's gonna pitch tonight, let me know. I'm gonna place this bet, and if I win a hundred grand, um." Or kick I'll, them back to your program. I'll, I'll donate it back to the program, NIL money, because Alabama – wow, you got me kind of fired up here. Alabama – Brad Bohannon's come out publicly multiple times and said, like, it's hard to get recruits here because of scholarship situation. Uh, in-state guys go across the road to Mississippi State or they'll go to uh, Florida, wherever, Georgia, because Alabama doesn't have, like, a lottery scholarship. And so, like, the, uh, the athletic money is very thin. Like you have to basically promise NIL money now to get baseball players to go there. So like maybe that was the case. Like, hey, we'll we'll give out twenty five thousand dollar a year to four players if I if you win a hundred grand for NIL money. Interesting for, for recruits. Interesting. I never I never thought about that, but I still will stand. I don't think Bohannon would lining his pocket. I, yeah, I don't think so either. He's making five hundred grand, or he was making five hundred. Wrong grand. place, wrong time. No pun intended. I think, and I think the guy was probably just texting him, like, "Hey, is he going to pitch tonight?" Because they said the security cameras zoomed in on his phone and could see very Brad innocent, very innocent. Bohannon probably said, "Not sure yet. He's injured. We, we haven't decided yet." And the guy said, "Well, I'm getting ready to lock in a bet." And Bohannon was like, "Well, 
yeah, he's probably not going to pitch today. And it came off that way when he really, it was super innocent. Right. But so, hey, it's more fun. It's more fun to make jokes about it. I, oh, 100%. Um, but let's end the show on that. Uh, basically, we got this weekend, next weekend left in, in the regular season. And then we are so close, fella. Conference tournament start where it's going to be 8 a.m. on like a Wednesday. You'll see the C, uh, the the American Conference kicking off in Clearwater, and um, hey, and- stay tuned for our website. We will have a full tournament central page. Everything you need. If it's not there, you let me know, and I'll have it up there. It's going to be everything you need to stay locked in, follow the tournament, everything you need. So, with that being said, it was a good one. It was a pleasure. Enjoy your weekend. See you next time. We won a national championship for for Ole Miss and um, all the past players and all the fans across the country and for the state of Mississippi and the University of Mississippi. uh, We did it. uh, We're national champs. Breaking ball. Oh, my goodness. Deep right field. A grand slam. Base hit. Arkansas is headed back to Omaha. And here's Tommy White. First pitch swinging. In the air to center. D'Onofrio back and it's gone. The legend continues. Got him swinging. The Campbell Campbells, the dynasty of the Big South. Tony Vitello bumps the third base umpire. Set. He'll throw. That is a line drive in the gap. Did he do it again? It is another ball in the gap for Morrell. Another extra. Oh, that is gone. A home run for Brian Morrell. Swing and a ball driven. Way back. And foul. No. Gone. He did it. Ortiz kept it just bare and walks it off with a grand slam. That one is launched. Where will it land? The Hispanic Titanic with a blast again. 